Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. everybody. It's great to be back at Shattered Berean. Uh, yeah, if you don't know me, I'm Scott Mathis. I'm president of the Berean Fellowship of Churches. We have about, oh, 57 or so Berean churches scattered across the United States. So I travel to a different one each weekend, inspiring and influencing uh, each local church to pursue uh, Christ's plan for their life and help churches um, really be on mission to reach lost people with the gospel and see those people who come to faith really become authentic disciples of Jesus. So it's a privilege to serve in this capacity. I was a local Berean church pastor for many years in Mitchell, Nebraska for 19 years, and then um, we planted a church for unchurched people in Torrington, Wyoming called Sunrise Church. We're there five years, and then uh, six years ago now, um, uh, the fellowship asked if I would become president. So uh, we're based out of Lincoln, and uh, travel uh, extensively. My wife uh, travels a lot with me, but unfortunately she broke her ankle Thursday playing pickleball, so she's at home um, starting that um, process of getting better. So that's why she's, we're not fighting again. She really did break her ankle. So uh, it's great to be here. You know, I I do have a passion that every one of our Berean churches be a healthy, life-giving force in their communities where they truly are seeing lost people who are enslaved to sin, being born again and set free by Jesus and becoming disciples of Jesus and obeying everything he's said. And, and there is this amazing direct correlation between healthy, life-giving churches and, and seeing people come to faith. I mean, healthy churches are seeing people get saved and save people growing. And one of the amazing ways that I've discovered that is, it is, and studies bear this out, is that if the local congregation are growing individually and then corporately as a local church, if the individual believers in a local church are growing in their understanding of the gospel and how they handle conflict, both in their marriages or if they're single, uh, in their singlehood or at work and in the local context of the congregation, if believers are growing up and out of their unholy and unhealthy ways of responding or reacting to conflict, that church sees lost people get saved and saved people growing. So this year I am preaching the same sermon at every church I go to. So if any of you feel attacked by this, just know that in last week I was in Rochester, Michigan, torquing off people with this sermon as well, okay? And you got issues with conflict if you get too torqued with me, okay? So uh, um, researchers have found, and this is going to be at the very top of your outline, you've been all handed an outline, Lord willing, uh, at the very top of your outline, researchers have found that um, that their their research transcends uh, country of origin, uh, individual ethnicities, etc. That generally every human has one or two ways they consistently, outside of Jesus, react to conflict. 
And so I took all their research and I, I put them all with the beginning letter F's to help us remember them. But some people, when they encounter a conflict with somebody, number one on your outline, clear at the top, they get ferocious. Have you ever dealt with somebody like this? You know, they yell, they shout, they slam cupboard doors, they cuss, they throw tools across the, and they get mad and beat the cow uh, when they're trying to work cows. They just get ferocious really quickly. They have just learned from their family of origin, or maybe they're a sports team, I get results if I get ferocious. And that's just a common, I'm sure no one at Shadron Berean or even in Shadron itself would ever get ferocious in their reaction to conflict. I'm just preaching to those sinners that, that this might hit outside of the church, so, so you know you can blame someone else. No. There's probably one or several of you that if you get the right circumstances, you get ferocious really quickly. A second common way on your outline that researchers have found that some people is their go-to method is, and this is one of mine, if I'm not walking with Jesus, because I hate conflict. I hate it. I just hate conflict. I flee. And there are some people, when they encounter conflict, instead of getting ferocious, they're just like, I'm gone. They just flee. I guarantee you that there are people in this community who used to be part of this church, had conflict, and they're like, I'm going to be godly. I'm just going to flee. That is very common in Christendom. That's not the most godly response. Sometimes do we have to? Yes. But most of the time, we need to figure out how to deal with conflict. But so some people get ferocious. Some people flee. Some people just are fake. Have you ever dealt with somebody and you think you're good and then come to find out they have major league conflict with you? I've had employees like this. I thought, man, on the same team, we're on a mission. Then I come to find out they had major league conflict with me, but they would fake it to my face. And that happens all the time. Now, there's a, a certain amount of societal wisdom that we have to, if we can't stand somebody, we have to fake it a somewhat in public, right? But too many churches are limiting the work of the Spirit because they're all fake. They really can't stand each other, but we're going to keep up appearances and act all godly and Christian. Really, I can't stand you. And I'm going to talk about you at lunch and how crazy you are, and I can't believe you wear that, and you know they did this, and etc. So some people are just fakers instead of really, truly dealing with conflict in a Christ-centered, Christ-honoring way. Some people, it's all your fault. Have you ever dealt with someone like this? Narcissists are famous for this, right? If you want to use that popular nomenclature that's real popular right now, that, that some people, you, you can't deal and resolve any issue with them because it's all someone else's fault. They're just a victim. You know, I'm just a victim of my parents. I'm just a victim of the schools, and I'm just a victim of this capitalistic society I live in. So it's all your fault. It's all someone else's fault. It's a miserable person to deal with because you can never be like, we've got to resolve this. No, it's all your fault. Uh, again, in, 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 in Dionys marriage, which you'll have several illustrations of Dionys marriage. It's good now, but okay, we had horrid marriage. We met in a bar. Four days later, moved in together. And she got pregnant. And I'm like, get an abortion. And she wouldn't. And so I got drunk and said, let's get married. Really romantic love story, isn't it? Just, doesn't that just touch your heart? It was horrid. We fought. 
Dai's a leader, I'm a leader. She, she's a stuffer, and then she'd get ferocious. Me, I, I want to flee all the time at the first sign of conflict. And then you get push me into a corner, and then I can get ferocious. It was horrid. And, and so, so Di and I had these big-time issues. And so in order, because I hate conflict, I would be sometimes when we'd have issues, I'd be like, yeah, it's all my fault. Did I really believe that? No. Was it sometimes? Yes. <laughs> but really, I, I would be like, just to keep a false peace in the home, I'd be like, yeah, it's all my fault. All right, all my fault. Now that wasn't, that never solved anything. We never got to, to resolve our issues because we were either fleeing or getting ferocious or faking it or saying, yes, it's all my fault or it's all your fault. A fifth common reaction um, unholy reaction to conflict is some people just go frigid. They just go frigid. There's probably maybe some of you here who, who because you've never discovered the power of Jesus to help you get healthy in dealing with conflict where it truly gets resolved in his name and power, and you're just cold right now. You've just, you're, you're, it's just not worth feeling. You're, you're, you've just froze up your heart. And maybe at one point you could come here and sing those awesome songs about God and you're, 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 you would just soar in your heart over the awesomeness of God, but now you're cold. Some of you are just frigid in your marriages. It's just cold and hard. And you're just existing. And yes, you do keep up appearances and you have maybe little moments, but ultimately you're just frigid. You've just froze yourself up. I'm telling you there's a better way in Jesus. And then finally, another conflict coping mechanism that many people use, and this would be my, uh, another one of my preferred ways, is some people just make fun. Like if I have an issue with you, if I can't just flee, I'll just make a joke or try to make a joke, usually condemning you in some way, but in a, in a fun way, and then I'll flee, right? Have you ever dealt with someone who you, there's conflict and they just want to make jokes, they just want to make fun about it, just laugh? That's their, their way of, they've discovered, they thought, this works, I'll just make fun. So those are several common conflict coping mechanisms, a lot of them influenced by our family of origin, by what, how our different experiences in life. Well, what about living out the gospel? Of being at peace with a holy God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can learn to be peaceable as a couple or as a single person or as a local congregation that we can learn to 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 live above at work instead of being in constant conflict and drama that through jesus we can learn to live above and not be tied up so much with our unholy responses what if we could grow up out of our family of origin training and, and, and grow out of being ferocious all the time, or fleeing all the time, etc. So, ten questions to ask when you're dealing with conflict that I've uh, internalized through the years that, um, again, this isn't a ten rules, this isn't a legalistic, uh, oh, just a minute, let me get through my right question. This is all pointing us to the heart of Jesus, the heart of Christ and his resurrection power that lives through us through his spirit, but it does help if we can learn and train ourselves. Man, I do see that I'm a frigid person. 
I do see that I have this, this tendency towards just making fun. Lord, help me grow out of this. And so these are some questions to ask yourself. Question number, two, t- number one, uh, what percentage of this conflict is my fault? You see, I, in Jesus Christ, who's absolute truth, you and I can learn to say, no, it's, it's, it's not say it's all my fault or it's all your fault. I believe in the power of Christ. We can walk with him in such a way and we can ask him to say, Jesus, will you help me identify what percentage of this conflict is my fault? The other person might have started it, but I reacted uh, in, in a ferocious way that caused 40% of this conflict or whatever. And again, we don't need to get carried away with, oh, no, you're 33 and thir- you know, two-thirds percent wrong or whatever. Don't get hung up on that. I'm saying individually, you can grow up, despite what your daddy, how your daddy taught you to respond to conflict or your mom. You can grow up at whatever your age, if you're a truly born-again believer, and learn to say, man, I, I own this. I own this percentage. God's word is so clear. In Proverbs um, chapter 13 and verse 10, God's word says pride always leads to conflict, but those who take advice are wise. Proverbs 14, 9 says fools make fun of guilt. Boy, did that verse nail me when my, one of my go-to methods is just making fun. Di and I could be talking, and I knew I was 75% at fault. But fools make fun of guilt. I just want to make fun. Let's not, you know, let's just evade and, and flee. No, fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. The godly acknowledge it. And friends, some of you need to be willing to get the truth, of, uh, get honest and let the truth of Jesus live through, through you in such a way that you're, you're able to say, I own this percentage. The godly seek reconciliation, which leads me to question number two. Am I attempting real reconciliation here, or am I just trying to win the argument? Again, back to Di and I. Totally starting wrong, totally messed up. I was an alcoholic. She's bulimic. We fought all the time. We'd have an argument, and I can think on my feet a little bit quicker than Di, and I could out-talk her. And I'd lawyer myself up, man. I'd write great briefs to win the argument, to prove that she's a heck of a lot more wrong than me. How did that work out? Not very well. You see, the point is that through Jesus, because he reconciles us to a holy God, we can learn to work through our conflict, and our goal is reconciliation, not trying to prove that the other person is more wrong than me. Do you see the difference? Authentic Christianity is lived out in the very fabric of our our dysfunction and brokenness. And our understanding of who we are in Christ allows you and I to begin to grow and say, hey, we have conflict here, but my goal is not to prove that you're a worse sinner than me. My goal is is reconciliation with God and each other. And that changes everything. We are commanded as believers in Ephesians 4.3 to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit 
binding ourselves together with peace. Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools have no interest in understanding they only want to air their own opinion. So much of the time when we're having conflict with someone, we listen just long enough to we think we know where they're going, and we, we begin to formulate a better answer. Again, the, the goal, not reconciliation, but to prove that they're more wrong than you. Oh, my friends, are we fighting for reconciliation or are we fighting just to win an argument? Question number three, ask yourself, in five years, is this conflict really going to matter? Like, seriously, people, a lot of the times our conflicts don't have to be conflicts. Seriously, folks, there are churches who split over personal preferences more than, 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 than actual Word of God stuff. There are marriages that are divorcing over personal preferences and, and, and different ways of looking at things more than actual truth. Years ago, again, I, I grew up and I never did anything around the house. I always worked outside the house, so I was pretty clueless when we got married about like doing dishes or cleaning or anything like that. Di would say that I probably haven't grown as much as I should. But anyway, I read this article when we were first married. Di was off um, coaching volleyball one weekend, and, and I read this article that said if the husband helps out around the house more, it really helps in every area of the marriage relationship. I was all over that. So I cleaned the house. Yep. Cleaned the house. I even did the laundry. Yeah. Couldn't wait for Di to get home. You know the first thing she noticed I folded the towels wrong. The edges showed. And we got in the biggest fight over how to fold towels. Now, maybe, just maybe, we should have said in five years, is this really going to matter? Is it this a big of a deal? Of course, some of you ones are like, yes, it matters. Yeah, we got to fold them towels my way or the highway. It's worth dying over. I'm telling you, friends, so much of the time we as Christ ones can say, hey, I, I, I'm quoting from Ephesians chapter 2, I'm seated in the heavenlies, I can see that your preference might be different than mine, but we don't have to have these battles that in five years we're not going to remember. Or five minutes, it's really not that big a deal. You see, part of authentic walking with Jesus is learning to not be so easily offended by people who do different things than we would do differently. That's part of authentic walking with Jesus. And friends, so many people, we live in, again, we're trained by our culture. And we live in a, a nation founded on rebellion, which I love our nation. But we are, have been ingrained culturally to immediately get on the fight, to immediately want to argue about, because again, we all have a tendency to think we're king inwardly and we want everybody to think like us and do things like us and let me tell you i've traveled all over this world you know what i know some really godly christians who see things and do things differently than me it happens all the time in five years is this conflict really gonna matter question number four have i talked to god about this or just other people <laughs> Right? When we have a conflict, a lot of times, don't we want to call somebody or 
talk to somebody who subconsciously anyway, we think they're going to agree with us more than the other person? I mean, you know, envision the, the couple, they get in a big fight, maybe over folding towels, I don't know. And the wife calls her mom, Mom, we're fighting, he did it again. What's the mother's response? She's a mom. It's pretty hard not to respond this way. Oh, honey, you know, I had questions about him from the first when you first started dating him. Now, maybe, just maybe, that wife should have prayed to God instead of going to her mom first. Or in the same scenario, think about the husband. Husband goes into work on Monday morning. Yeah, me and the old lady, we got in the biggest fight last night. I can't believe that woman. It is, this marriage just stinks. And what do the guys at work Say, oh, yeah, my old lady does the same thing, drives me crazy. Yeah, I tell you what. Do you see the point? People, when you go to people, many times they say things that help fuel the fire towards non-reconciliation. We have to train ourselves to say, let's go to God. Again, Di and I have had to work for every inch of our marriage. And it is amazing now. I love my wife. I, it, it just breaks my heart to be, that she's not with me this weekend. We're, we're best friends now. But one of the things we had to learn was when we got going down the road of where we knew it wasn't going to be pretty. The road not with Jesus, but the road of arguing and blaming and proving that they're more wrong and non-reconciliation road. One or both of us had to learn to say, let's talk to God before... We talk to anybody else and even each other right now. And many times, Di and I had to say, hey, we're not going to talk about this anymore. We're going to go and pray privately. And we're going to come back together at 7 tonight or 7 tomorrow morning and talk this through when we're not emotionally charged and forgetting all about Jesus. But too many people posted on Facebook in, in passive-aggressive ways or, or talked to their friends at work or their peer group about their problems instead of first going to the throne of grace and saying, Jesus, will you help me understand? Help me. Is this a personal preference deal? Is this really worth dying over? Is this really something we need to work through? Or do I just need to release it? Too many people don't go to God first. They go to other people, to their detriment. And can I just, this isn't in your, on your outline, but can I just throw, do not handle uh, conflicts via texting. It never has worked. It never will work. Okay? When, when we were local church pastors and counseling, we'd have people come in and they were mattered and horned to each other, and they'd been texting this big fight all day long, texting back and forth. We'd, we'd make them switch phones and read the text to each other. And they'd add all sarcasm and anger when they were reading, and the other one would be like, no, I just meant, what, what are we going to do here? Te handling conflict via texting or emailing is not wise. Face-to-face, -face, prayed up, in humility. Question number five, am I willing to use a godly mediator? Now, sometimes we can pray and pray and come together and pray, but sometimes we just can't get over the hump relationally, and it's just really hard. And, and sometimes as a local church, that's some of the times I come in and I help local churches get over the hump conflict-wise. Uh, sometimes marriages just need someone outside of themselves to tell them stuff that will help them uh, learn to grow up and out of handling conflict in an unchrist like way. 
And God puts people in the local church and in, in, in place that they just have a wisdom from him that they can help people get through their junk. So sometimes you just need a godly me- mediator. Again, a lot of times, <clears throat> men, in our experience, husband and wife have issues. Wife says, we need a godly mediator to help us. We've tried talking to God. We just can't get over this. And the man's like, no, we don't need no counselor. We're fine. We'll work through this. And years go by. And all kinds of stuff piles up. And there's never true reconciliation. Men, don't be afraid to humble yourselves and get somebody outside of yourself to help coach you through. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that, man, we are at loggerheads. We can't figure this out. Will you, could you help us? But it becomes horrific sin to pridefully say, we're just going to keep burying it and keep fleeing from it or keep being ferocious behind the scenes and keeping up the scenes like we're good, all good in public. Are you willing to use a godly mediator? Question number six, am I trying to be God in this conflict or godly? Am I trying to be God or godly? in this conflict. And what I mean by this is we, again, in love, you don't make a very good God and neither do I. But because of the fall, you and I have a tendency to want to be God. And we want everybody to see things like us and we really basically want other people to bow down to us. And our way of doing life, of our way of seeing life, And unfortunately, what happens when we try to say, I'm God, and you hurt my feelers, I'm going to give you the silent treatment this week. Or you did this or didn't do this, I'm going to withhold myself physically from you. You did this, I'm going to make you pay for your sin that you've done against me by leaving you or yelling at you or or, or, or being totally fake with you. That's not authentic Christianity. We can't play God. You can't make someone else pay for the sins they've done against you because Jesus Christ already did on a cross 2,000 years ago, friends. Friends, too many times we are going through life saying, I'm going to make people pay for their sin they do against me. That's trying to be God in an unholy way. But being godly? is understanding that God poured his wrath for your sin and mine and the person who offended us. He poured his wrath out for that sin on his only son instead of us. And all sin, past, present, and future, was dealt with and paid for by the spotless blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And you and I, as we grow in our understanding of our union with Christ, so that it changes our core, uh, some of our core uh, belief systems we've been in, 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 in internalized in handling conflict in ungodly ways can begin to be changed because we are like, man, I am sick of trying to play God with someone else's life. Yes, it hurt. Jesus, you paid for that hurt. I'm going to you, Christ. Can I still express to that person you, that hurts? Yes. And you can resolve it uh, in the power of Jesus? Yes. But when we say, I'm going to be God, and I'm going to make you pay, it is a, a, a wicked way of life. 
And some honestly, in love, some Christians never understand this. They never understand grace in such a way that they're constantly trying to make someone pay for their sin. And it's a miserable life. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone, God's word says, right? In Romans chapter 12, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. If you're like me, though, sometimes you're like, but God, you're too slow about making them pay. <laughs> I, I, I think you need a little help here. So let me get ferocious with them for a while. No, that's not the way of the cross. If you repay evil with evil, evil will never leave your house, Proverbs 17, 13 says. Proverbs 20, 22, great verse for this year, right? Proverbs 20, 22, don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. And the way of the cross in dealing with conflict does not mean we just flee. It does not mean that we just fake it. It means that you and I can have honest dialogue, sometimes with a needed mediator or counselor, sometimes all the time with praying. But it changes the very dynamic of when we say, God, I'm going to let you be God. And I'm going to take the way of your son. Question number seven, am I recognizing that the devil desires disunity? Friends, you do know that Satan hates you. And he's real. And he wants to blow up. If you're married, he wants to blow your marriage up, no matter how long you've been married. If you're single and you're here, Satan hates you. And does not want you to learn to handle conflict in a Christ-honoring, Christ-empowered way. He hates this church. And I've seen him try to blow this church up. And I have pounded the gates of heaven on my knees for this church. I love this church. I love this community. There's so many needy people in the Shadron area who don't know Christ yet. This, this area is desperate for a healthy, life-giving church filled with people who are growing up out of their family of origin in ingrained ways, unholy ways of reacting to conflict to learning to, to respond in the power of the Spirit for the glory of Christ and not fleeing or fighting in unholy ways, but growing and dealing with conflict biblically. But you have to recognize that we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies. The, the other person is not ever the true enemy. They might be being controlled by the enemy, Satan, but they're not the enemy. There's someone who Christ loves just as much as he loves you. And there's someone who God still has a plan for. And they're created in the image of God. And we don't condemn them. Question number eight. Am I willing to see other people's motive or perspective? Hang with me here. We're, we're, I'll, in another couple hours I'll be done with this sermon. Am I willing to see other people's motive or perspective? And what I mean by that is, well... Years ago when I was pastoring at Mitchell, Nebraska, and the church grew fairly large for that context, I, I was determined that while I couldn't know everybody in the church, I could at least know their name. So I memorized everybody's name for the most part. And there was this new couple who began to come to Mitchell. They always came to the 8 o'clock corporate gathering. We did multiple services. And uh, they would come in, and I would greet them by name, but I didn't know them, know them, right? Well... I noticed on my, my secretary had lined up that I was to meet with this couple one during the week one time. So they walk in, and, and I can tell they're a little tight, right? 
I mean, a little sallow-faced and just yeah, bodily orifices puckered up. Just, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go again. I'll bet it's a marriage issue. You know, that's where pastors always go. And, and they're like, they sit down and they're like, well, pastor, we just sense that there is something come between us. And we set up this meeting because we want to know if we have hurt your heart some way. And that we, we, there's obviously something wrong. And I'm like, again, make fun, hate conflict, right? I'm like, I don't know you well enough to be mad at you. you know, all I know is their name. And they're like, no, pastor, there's something here. And I'm like, well, what's the issue? I mean, we haven't had hardly any interaction. And they said, well, used to, we'd drive in to Mitchell Berean to the 8 o'clock service, which is the only service we can make. We drive in, you would greet us by name. You would see us, we'd get out of the car, you'd smile, you'd greet us by name. We were just amazed at this big church, you'd know our name. Now when we drive in, you see us coming and you turn around and go into the church building. And we want to know, we want to get your perspective or what's happening. Have we done something to hurt you? And I'm like, can I give you a hug? Because most people who get mad at me go down to the church down the road and say how horrible a pastor I am. You're here actually trying to resolve this? And they're like, yes. We, we walk with Jesus. We want to do this right. We're growing and learning how to handle conflict. And we want to... Well, what we figured out, they had started being chronically late. I wasn't aware that they were driving in. I'd hear the music start. At the, for the 8 o'clock service, right at 8, I'd turn and go in. I wasn't, th cognitively, I wasn't even thinking that's them driving in. Of course, when they're saying, when we figure this out, that they've been started being chronically late, where did Pastor Scott's heart go? You know, if you'd get yourself out here on time, we wouldn't have to be wasting this time in this meeting or handling conflict I don't like to handle, right? But in the flow of the conversation, the man says, yeah, Jelaine, she works all night at the, at the nursing home there in Mitchell. And we, we're down a car right now. It's been in the shop forever. I go and get her off when she gets at eight, off at 8. She's worked all night. She gets done, and we race up here for the 8 o'clock service. And then it's the only service we get to go, and then I take her, we go and minister to my mom or somebody, and then I take her home so she can sleep this afternoon so she can go back to work tonight. Where did my heart go? Because of this godly interaction. Come late, man. I can't believe you're making this effort to be here. Friends, that's authentic Christianity lived out. We have a perceived issue. Let's not talk about it to other people or post it on Facebook how horrible the, the Berean pastor is at Mitchell. Let, let, let's go to him and say, there seems to be an issue here. Let's work this out. I've shared that story literally all over the world because it reflects the heart of Christ in how the church is supposed to work. These people wanted to know, where are you coming from, preacher? You used to be friendly, but now from our perspective, it doesn't seem that way. Oh, it's merely because you're hearing the me. Oh, okay, and we were one. That's how it needs to work. Before you hold the grudge, as the old saying goes, hold a conversation. It might just be a way, a, 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 a means of, of, of misunderstanding. It must just be a result of a misunderstanding, excuse me. Are you willing to see that other people are going to see things different from you? 
as this church grows, and my prayer that you get different ethnicities here, I pray that you will continue to be a, a, a congregation of old people and young people and middle-aged people, of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that are here in this community. Not just a certain white congregation, but a congregation that represents this local community. My prayer is that you approach like we're going to have some misunderstandings because people do view things differently based on their ethnicity and on how they were raised. It just happens. It's just part of life. But the church of Jesus is the most transcendent um, uh, entity in the world that can transcend racial and ethnic uh, 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 controversies and, and troubles. I've seen it happen. Are you willing to see that other people's motives and perspective might be different than you? And in Christ, in the maturity of Christ, you can learn to empathize and see that. Question number nine this morning, who's your authority? Like seriously, who's your authority this morning? I have been on my knees this week praying. I've prayed that every one of you would have an encounter with the holy God of the universe. You see, I'm not here playing games. Do you think I want to drive 100,000 miles a year and be away from my horses a lot? I know I'm called by God, but I'm not doing this to pay, earn a paycheck. I could earn a paycheck a lot easier than doing what I'm doing. But I love Jesus, and I love his church, and I love our Berean fellowship. And I have prayed that every one of you, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how, 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 what, what your uh, earthly dynamics are right now, that you would decide, God, you're my authority. Not my feelings. Not my family of origin. But Christ, you are my authority. You bought me off the slave block of sin at the high price of your own sinless blood. And so I desire as an act of worship in the power of the Spirit this morning to say, Jesus Christ, you and your word are my authority. Not the crowd at work that tells me to go against your commands. Not Satan. Not my family of origin, but my faith alone in you alone, Jesus Christ. Who's your authority? Question number 10. Are you willing to accept God's grace today? There's probably not one person here, well, maybe some of you are deluded enough to think that you've got it all together. But there's not one person here that probably hasn't been reminded that you don't always handle conflict in the most Christ-honoring way. That you're a ferocious person, that you're a faker, that you're a fleer. I whatever. And you have been like, oof, golly, I have got to grow up. Friends, victory in the Christian life isn't getting convicted with some spitting guest preacher and saying, I'm going to try harder. Christianity isn't try harder religion. It's a surrender to the authority of Christ and letting his spirit live through you. Because his spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Are you going to accept that you've blown it? Some of you have blown it, totally blew it this week. Or 30 years ago and you blew it horribly. 
years ago after I'd been a preacher for six months. So I knew it all, you know. Beware of six-month-old pastors. I went to a family reunion. Now, I had some problems in my family of origin. There's just, there were many great things, but I left home at age 14. But we had this family reunion. We all are gathered in this big room within the first two hours of this family reunion. And there was a person in my family who had done some wounding in the family. And he said something that triggered me. That honestly, I don't know if beforehand, if I could have, I wasn't self-aware at that point enough to even know the pain. But he said something that triggered me. And so by golly, I loaded the old scripture gun up and straightened him out right in front of God and everybody. And you know what I said was true. But authentic Christian living means that you and I can say the truth, but we better say it in love. And my timing was sin. And my tone was sin. It was pride. I was better than him. He had hurt me and others. I was going to make him pay for his sin. It was wretched. This is in the first two hours of a family reunion. I felt horrible. By God's grace, I did go to him and every person in that room and apologize, but you know how that goes. Once the words are out in a wrong timing and tone way, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't get it back in. For months afterwards, I'd lay in bed thinking, golly, Mathis, how ignorant could you be? What were you thinking? You weren't thinking. And I, I just beat on myself for months because of the, some of the rejection I felt in my life, it's real easy for me to go into the prideful mode of I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'll never get it right, I can't believe how bad you were. There was some weird pull towards me wanting to somehow pay for that sin that I'd done at that family reunion. Maybe that's him calling right now. There's a mystery to this, friends. But one night in our bedroom, Jesus lovingly and graciously confronted me. And it wasn't the actual, you don't get, don't write, you know, my board about how whacked I am heretically. Hear the point. The point was somehow, in a mysterious but very real way, Jesus confronted me with Scott, you are pretty good at believing grace for other people, but you have real issues for accepting my gospel of grace for yourself. Like seriously, if some of you came to me after this service and said, man, I blew it this week. I handle conflict. I'm all those things, preacher man. I flee, I fight, I ferociously, I go in. And, and I, would tell, I would look you and I would hug you and I would say, there's grace for that. Jesus Christ paid for that sin. Yes, there might be consequences to your forgiven sin, but don't you dare pay for that sin. But for me, I'm good at believing grace for you, but for me, accepting it for myself, and when I blow it, I'm not very good at that. And what I've discovered by being transparent is that there are a lot of people like me. We're pretty good at believing grace for others, 
but sometimes we have a hard time accepting it for ourselves. So you blew it. So you totally messed it up. Are you going to try and pay for that sin? The Bible's clear in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Friends, sometimes we Christians forget the gospel. Where you and I are, 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 are bigger sinners than we'll ever know or even probably fully admit. But we are more loved by God than we will ever understand this side of heaven. And God loves you so much that the gospel of grace says you can't pay for sin because Jesus Christ already has. Will you accept grace today? So you've blown it. And you're in the power of grace, do you need to maybe say to somebody, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Maybe write a letter, I don't know. But don't stiff arm the grace of God that can empower you to be free, to grow up and out of your unholy and unhealthy reactions to conflict in your life. Don't, don't just survive hoping for the rapture or that one of you dies the rest of your marriage. Work it out in a way, in the power of the gospel, that allows you to have the peace and the power of Jesus in your marriage. Accept grace today. So you blew it. Yeah, you did. That's why Jesus came. You think you're an exception? You think you're like, well, no, but I... I, I I knew better, and I still blew it. Yeah, you did. Grace, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And the beauty of authentic understanding and growing in an understanding of grace is you are like, man, I do not want to do that again. That doesn't give me the freedom to sin. God forbid. My passion is to reckon myself dead to that sin and walk in the power of Jesus. Are you willing to accept God's grace today? Or are you going to try and keep paying for your own sin? Question number 11, bonus question there, clear down at the bottom. Am I willing to accept that some people just don't need to be a part of my everyday life? Friends, sometimes we have some people into our enter into our lives that are just constant conflict and drama, and we just have to sometimes, and we have to do this uh, you know, in love, and getting good counsel, everything else. But sometimes we have to say, here's some boundaries to this relationship. I love you. I care for you. I'm not playing God here, but I have to set a boundary here. And, 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 and sometimes we have to do that. And, and again, we need wisdom for that. We, if, you're, if your attitude is like, I, I just have to set a boundary with everybody because everybody's a jerk, then you're the problem, Right? But sometimes if we, we can be well-meaning and go through life, but there's some, and sometimes local churches have to do this too. Titus 3.10 teaches us that. Um, so anyway, sometimes we have to set some boundaries. Well, um, how are you going to respond to the guest preacher today sermon? What are you going to do? I'm leaving. I'll be in, uh, shoot, I don't remember where I'm at next week. I'll be somewhere else preaching the same sermon. But you can respond by saying, God, I need you. 
Again, victory in the Christian life is won through surrender. Not just a pull yourself, it's not a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps religion. It's surrender to the authority and power of Christ living through us. Jesus, thank you for these precious people. I love this church so much. I too cry out like Pastor Justin did for the lost here. There are so many who face a Christless eternity in hell. Lord, help this church be passionate about reaching lost people with your gospel, Jesus. Help them respond rightly to how you've spoke today to them and and learn to grow up and out of their unholy and unhealthy reactions to conflict and learn to respond in the overture of your grace and the power of the Spirit truly work through things and be set free by you, Jesus. But God, continue to do a work here at Shattered Marine.